Welcome to ESAM's Global Economy Podcast. My name is Frederick Eriksson and today I am talking to Leon Mangasarian. Leon is a journalist and writer based in Potsdam and the forests of Barenklau. He has a PhD in international relations from the London School of Economics, then worked for Deutsche Presse Agentur and the United Press International in the 1990s and early noughties. Then he was a writer and editor for Bloomberg for eight years. A few years ago, Leon published a book together with Jan Techau on Germany's military and strategic policy, Führungsmacht Deutschland, in which he argued that America's declining role for European security forces new responsibilities upon Germany, but that Germany and many of its leaders aren't prepared to accept that role. In a new study for the London School of Economics called Germany and the World of Yesterday, he returns to this subject, arguing that Germany's golden age of security is over and that it would need to invest far more in military and strategic leadership. However, Germany's politicians have become even more alien to that concept, thinking that they rather should stay in the lane, being a somewhat bigger version than Switzerland in their geopolitical identity. This is also what we are going to talk about today. Germany, its geopolitical persona and how it may be exporting instability to the rest of Europe. Leon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So I want to lead off this conversation with a recent comment that was made by the German president, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, on the Nord Stream 2 project, suggesting that Germany owes this pipeline to Russia because of German atrocities in the Second World War. Now, this, of course, is not a new sentiment in German politics, and we could raise some serious question marks about how accurate that view is. After all, there are other countries that were also exposed to German atrocities in the Second World War who are deeply concerned about the geopolitical effects of the pipeline. But what I want to get at here is that it is a bit surprising that Germany is still on this apology tour and that its history influences Germany's view of itself as a geopolitical actor even today. So if we start this conversation about political culture and identity, what role does history play for shaping the German idea of itself in geopolitics today? Well, history is incredibly important for Germany because I think one of the most important things that the Federal Republic of Germany has done since World War II has been to really enshrine memory as an important guide to forming Germany's foreign and domestic policy. That being said, the, the comments by Frank Walter Steinmeier that the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline running from Russia to, or that will run from Russia to, to Germany, is one of the last bridges between Russia and, and Europe. And the fact that uh, he said, owes this to Russia because of what Nazi Germany did to the Soviet Union during World War II is, I think, historically very inaccurate. This, you see this again and again in Germany. Russia does not equal the Soviet Union. You just have to read Timothy Snyder's book, Bloodlands, to see the horrors that the Nazis committed in Belarus, the Ukraine, the Baltics. It's incredible that Steinmeier could say this because advantageous as Nord Stream 2 would be to Russia, it is a huge geostrategic risk to Ukraine. 
because Ukraine earns transit revenues from gas passing through pipelines from Russia to the rest of Europe. And the government in in Ukraine has been extremely critical about Nord Stream 2 for a very long time. And they expressed really outrage over the comments that Steinmeier just made. And uh, what was quite telling was the reaction from the federal president's office in Berlin, where they simply said that they received these comments by the government in Ukraine and by the Ukrainian ambassador to Berlin with complete incomprehension. So it almost shows that they're in a parallel world. And this is a problem that one sees really again and again with certain politicians in Germany. There's a sense that really everything between Berlin and Moscow is just sort of flyover country. And that everybody else there, they may be allies, they may be members of NATO, members of the EU, but in terms of the really big sort of geopolitics, all that matters are Berlin's relations with Moscow. And let us stay on that issue for a little while before talking a little bit more about history and where Germany generally finds itself today in its geopolitical outlook. So speaking myself, I mean, my mother country is Sweden. I know what sort of discussions that goes on in Finland, in the Baltics, in some of the Eastern Central European countries that also have a closer proximity to Russia. Many of those, of course, would look to Berlin for some type of leadership in terms of shaping Europe's geopolitical positions now, especially in light of some uncertainty about where America is going. Broadly speaking, they would think that the European Union would provide a pretty solid type of geopolitical framework for them, even if it doesn't contain any military capacity for the time being. So where does that come into play in Germany's own thinking about relations to Russia on energy now? Is it is it something they, that they consider or is it simply something they can neglect because they are pursuing much more important things and that can be energy security or better relations to Russia politically? I think there are two aspects to this element of German foreign policy. The first is, yes, I mean, Germany is a very mercantilist country in many respects. You know, we, we, we've seen this just now with Chancellor Merkel having really forced through this EU-China investment agreement, which you can really argue that in some ways was basically kicking Biden in the teeth shortly before he took the oath of office. Their business interests are very, very powerful in Germany, obviously. But there's a second point here, and I think this is the real problem with German geopolitics. There really since, since World War II, for obvious reasons, the military has not played a really pivotal role in German foreign policy. And certainly over the last 25 or 30 years, the German armed forces, the Bundeswehr, have been basically saved. The the spending has been cut so much that we have now these very well-known planes and helicopters that can't fly, submarines that can't go to sea. But there's also, there's simply no stomach for really using the German armed forces other than in very limited manners to achieve security political ends. I, I mean, in some cases, the German government does make big changes. One of these changes is obviously the German armed forces that are serving in the leadership role for the small NATO forces 
stationed in the Baltic states, in the case of Germany and Lithuania. But in general, the German response to most international problems is immediately, well, any use of the military is not the solution. And this is true most of the time, but almost ignorance of the fact that having you know, the military in the background can add a lot of muscle to uh, diplomacy. And one of the people I talked to when I was writing my piece, German official who obviously didn't want to be named, said, you know, it's just incredible when we have planes from the German Luftwaffe stationed in the Baltics, you wouldn't believe um, how much more closely the governments in those countries listen to every word we have to say. But this is, again, I think, I fear this is the exception. And in general, the, the politicians in Germany have, have, have moved on this a little bit. But in the public, it's almost not there. Yeah, indeed. Let's come to, back to that in, in a moment, Leon. I wanted to ask you first, because in, in the study for the LSE that you published recently, you, you basically say that Germany's golden age of security is over. So if we start with that period first, the golden age, what was that about? What defined that golden age? And why do you think it has ended? Well, what I mean by the golden age is that after 1949, from the founding of the Federal Republic of Germany, basically the German foreign and trade policy was built up on four pillars. And they were obviously European integration, what is now the European Union, NATO, the transatlantic relationship, and free trade, which has made Germany incredibly successful, incredibly wealthy, and the fourth biggest economy in the world. And all four of these sort of pillars, Germany's sort of golden age of security, are now weakened or wobbling. And there are question marks over how they will continue. And it really is now up to Germany to start playing a far bigger role in all four of these areas, because certainly the American role has been declining for quite a number of years now in Europe, as we've seen with the, with the troop withdrawals. In terms of free trade with the Brexit, the European Union has just lost. It's probably one of its biggest free trade countries, certainly uh, after countries like a country like Sweden. And these are all things that, that Germany is going to need to really step up to the plate and, and play a much bigger role in. Included, included in this is a much bigger military role in Europe and in NATO. And although defense spending has increased a little bit over the last few years, it's nowhere near to enough to make up for the shortfalls and the problems in the German armed forces. The people I've talked to from the Bundeswehr, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's not any great secret, you know, a helicopter is being cannibalized to, to, to get parts that just at least one, one helicopter can still keep flying. We're seeing this all, all over the place in the Bundeswehr now. And it's just, um, even if the money is made available, it's going to take a long time to repair the damage. And would you say that Berlin politicians, have they acknowledged that reality, that sort of all the pillars that laid the foundation for the golden age of security, that they, if not have gone entirely, they have changed profoundly? Do they accept that? 
certainly more, I think, amongst politicians than amongst the general public. But again, you know, there there were a lot of politicians sort of very much in the possibly you could say almost in the in the, in the Merkel mode uh, of making very small sort of incremental steps to to change anything and not really seeing that something fairly big is going to have to change so that Germany can really play a role in holding the whole European Union together. We're seeing, we saw this whole sort of argument sort of about the future future of Germany and where's the soul of Germany headed in this uh, debate over to who would take over the Christian Democratic Union, uh, Chancellor Merkel's party. And it was won by the Prime Minister of North Rhine-Westphalia state, Armin Laschet. Laschet is very much in the Merkel mold, very quite soft on, on, on Russia, quite pro-business, uh, soft on China. He doesn't really seem to have been someone in the format of uh, one of his, his, his uh, competitors who lost, Mr. Rutgen, who was really uh, willing to take a much, much tougher role with Russia, saw a bigger role for German defense and the German military. An alternative way, I suppose, to look at it is that German politicians, they are waking up to this new geopolitical reality, but they are not prepared to accept the political consequences of adjusting to it. Well, it's been commented on by a lot of people. There's quite a large club of German politicians who, yes, have woken up to the to this reality and say, yes, yes, Germany has to do far more. But then when it comes to really um, voting to increase spending for the military or for the intelligence services or whatever else, then they say, oh, no, we couldn't do that because uh, we need the money for so many other things. So is it predominantly an economic issue then? So they are not spending more on military capacity because they don't want to commit a larger part of GDP or of the state budget on that. They don't accept the economic consequences of taking a larger leadership role in, in Europe because ultimately it may lead to a situation where Germans need to pay for you know Italian pensioners or whatever. So is it is it an ec- economic issue that stands in the way here? I think it's partly it's, it's an economic issue but I think it's also partly just because most politicians have realized that they're, they're not going to win very many votes by saying we're going to radically raise defense spending. Yeah, no, that's that sounds like a plausible explanation, um, and I think it's true for many other countries as well. A thing that which I'm thinking about is, and I think you're mentioning this in your paper, which is that the geopolitical persona of Germany still seems to be somewhat uh, sort of close to that notion of being a somewhat larger version than Switzerland. You know, you can accept uh, a little bit more spending here and there, but broadly speaking, you know, as soon as something happens in the world, you you want to hide behind something to avoid that people actually looking at you uh, to understand what on earth you're going to do about it. Indeed, this whole idea of Germany as a big Switzerland is very attractive to many people because it means you sell your goods to the world, you can become the fourth biggest economy in the world, but there is this amongst many Germans, and it's understandable uh, given given what happened under the Third Reich, there is a real hunger to stay morally clean. And 
the trouble is, if you are going to get involved in geopolitics in any sort of a big way, you're going to be asked a lot of questions to which there is no easy black or white answer, to which everything is a shade of gray, and actually most most decisions are not good or bad, but rather bad or worse, where you may end up being allied with people who end up being maybe not quite as savory as you thought in the beginning. And these are the things that still a lot of people in Germany have a lot of very deep problems with, understandably so, given the past, but given the situation now and as it looks to be unfolding, this is not the way forward for Germany. So if I then would put forward a hypothesis to German politicians, and I want to ask you what you think their response should be, because some of this is a bit difficult, I think, to understand for non-Germans who are certainly not looking at Germany and immediately thinking Third Reich when you discuss issues around international leadership, European leadership. I think they are more sort of used to a modern version of Germany who combines geopolitical realism with some degree of idealism, who wants to invest in the institutions in Europe and the institutions globally that can secure peace and prosperity in Europe and elsewhere as well, of course. But so if we look around Europe today, we see that in Europe South, we have instability in Northern Africa, in some parts of the Middle East, leading to consequences for migration, for instance. We have problems in relations with Turkey. We have Russia to the east. We have a lot more instability in, for instance, Azerbaijan. We have to the north of us, we have Britain who has left the EU. We have Iceland who actually had filed an application to join the EU a few years ago, but decided to pull it back because they really didn't believe in it. So it's it's basically a region which is increasingly surrounded by a lot of instability. And I would imagine sort of if, you know, w- wouldn't Germany sort of look to itself to come up with an answer? How on earth are we going to manage this situation? Yes, you would think that Germany would. I think certainly one thing which, which has changed, you know, since the end of the Cold War, and this is something that's been often repeated by German politicians, is that for the first time in a very long time, Germany is surrounded by friends and allies. And indeed, the conflicts that you list are all very much there, and they are on the radar screen, but they they still seem far away to a lot of, I would argue, not just or less, maybe some of the politicians in Germany, but certainly to the public. So it's it's then sort of a a combination of some some degree of understanding, but a lot a lot sort of a good portion of the electorate and others they they don't want to acknowledge the fact that. The world around us is getting more complicated. Is that it? I think it really goes back very much to the last 75 years of German history have been very much anomaly. Germany at peace, very prosperous, whereas if you go back the last 1,000 years, it was more or less a case of war being the, the big recurring feature of history in, in what is today Germany. And it, it seems to me that for Many people, especially in the younger generations, there's very much a sense that this is just the default. This is the natural order of things. This is the God-given way of Europe, and wars become sort of unthinkable. And this this idea that you actually have to get up every morning and be prepared to really defend the system that and the country that has been built up over the last 75 years 
is far less present than it used to be. And among the, the, the much older generation, the generation that which is now passing, obviously people who, who fought in World War II, but even who experienced it as children of, say, 8, 9, 10, 12 years, this generation is also passing. But this generation was in many ways so, so scarred by the experience that when I on occasion speak with people from this generation, they react absolutely allergically to any consideration of having the military as just another tool in the foreign policy toolbox. So I think there are these two groups, and they have played, I think, quite a, quite a big role in Germany. And in particular, this young group now, uh, I've had quite a bit of contact through, through my son with people involved in the, the Friday for the Future a movement to, to fight climate change. And on occasion, I've, I've remarked to them, well, yeah, that's, this is all great. And I think also that the, we need a Friday for the future of the German armed forces. And the, the reaction is, first of all, complete bafflement, but then followed by a lot of just disbelief. So I guess in some ways, it's probably like people in many countries. You can focus on one or two big issues, and that's perhaps to the de- detriment of other things. And certainly, I mean, the issue of climate has gotten a huge amount of attention in Germany in the last years, but other topics have been perhaps pushed to the sidelines. Yeah, indeed. So let us talk about America a bit and the role of America in Germany. You write about this in your study. But let me start by saying that for an outsider, it is a bit difficult to get a feeling for the role of the United States in in broader German discussions around geopolitics. On the one hand, we have sort of going back a little bit more than 10 years when Barack Obama makes a speech in Berlin, because the alliance there seemed to be not just transactional, it was very much a lot of emotions and more philosophical loyalties that were expressed there. And then, of course, we have the period with Trump, which makes life difficult, I think, for every European country, but perhaps more so for Germany than for anyone else. But sort of where is America and the American alliance in German politics today? It's something which is appreciated. Is it something where the reaction from people is basically, from politicians is basically that they want to get away from it? Do they accept? that even under a Biden administration, that Germany would have to do a lot more if it wants to maintain that alliance. Polls certainly show on a regular basis that in some cases, the majority of Germans would prefer to have have less less America in Germany and in Europe. Certainly, I mean, the, the, the Trump administration has done a fantastic job of uh, tarring the, the American brand, as it were, but certainly... I think the the transatlantic group of Germans that we had, certainly in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and into the 80s and 90s, has really declined quite a bit. It's a much smaller and a much older group. There is simply, I think, less interest in transatlantic relations amongst many younger and -and up-and-coming political leaders in Germany, also amongst the public. There has always been a strand of anti-Americanism amongst certain Germans. This goes back a very, very long way. And some of it also comes up again. 
people in Germany deeply, deeply critical of the United States, and, and in many, many respects, rightly so. There are there are a number of elements of the United States that really are deeply problematic right now, and have been in past years. But on the other hand, there is little, I think, less understanding that the United States has always been very much a work in progress, and there is a real feeling, I think, that if the Americans go, it won't be much of a problem because European security will be done by Europeans and everything's going to be fine. And what I really am concerned about is that there, there seems to be almost no understanding that 75% of NATO's capabilities come from the United States, that the Germany is, is very dependent on uh, the American intelligence services for keeping itself safe. And if, if the U.S., were to depart from Europe or even further reduce its footprint in Europe. This would present huge challenges for a country like Germany. This would mean probably having to almost double uh, defense spending, which I don't think there's any chance of ever happening. So I think there are a lot of contradictions. There isn't a lot of understanding about how dependent Germany still is on the United States. There's much more of a sense yeah, well, we, we, the Americans have been here, and it's a lo- they've been here for a long time. And if they pack up and leave now, we'll be fine to stand on our own two feet. And uh, we have the European Union, and everything will be fine. Well, it probably won't be fine. And I think this kind of talk in Germany is what especially alarms countries in uh, countries like Poland and the and, and the Baltic states, and also the Nordics, because they have a much different appreciation of uh, challenges posed by Moscow. Absolutely. For many of them, territorial integrity is challenged already by Russia. So it, it isn't an abstract foreign policy seminar. It's, it's something which is very real and, uh, and they are very alive to it. But, but on that note around America, I mean, I'd, I'd say sort of a common view among the foreign policy cognoscenti in Europe today is that there is some mileage in investing more in the transatlantic relationship and it may not be so much about european security or border security vis-a-vis russia it's much more about china and about managing a profound shift in global power with a china who of course is not going to have territorial aspirations in europe but it certainly has the capacity to take one government at a time in Europe and make it far more loyal to the interests and the worldviews of Beijing. Now, where does this issue stand in, in the German debates? Is there a greater understanding about potential type of long-term geopolitical threats that comes from China? Or would they just be happy to send, to send even more Audis and Volkswagens to China? Well, I think uh, Chancellor Merkel has shown her her, her true colors. Uh, she's been a regular visitor to China during her more than 15 years in office. And just before the new year, having really rammed through this EU-China investment agreement, even after people from the incoming Biden administration had fairly politely said, you know, maybe we should just wait a bit on this and have a talk. Maybe there's a way that we can get together and try to do something jointly on this. I think this was really Merkel showing her absolutely true colors, and certainly her potential successor as chancellor, Mr. Laschet, is is very, very similar. 
So I think there's, with regards to, to China, it's very much, I don't want to say Germany first, but the German business interests have absolute, the absolute priority. Finally, Leon, I want us to talk a little bit about the European Union and how Germany looks at the EU and perhaps EU institutions as providing a geopolitical framework. Is it a correct interpretation to say that Germany would be happy with a development where the EU takes up more and more power, sort of more and more power are centralized to Brussels, that they are willing to pay a greater price for having that framework for peace and prosperity in Europe. So gradually investing more in military collaboration in the EU, perhaps have a, a, a joint army with strong capacities and sort of an army that you actually can deploy. They're willing to spend a lot more in order to get the euro to, well, avoid having some countries being too challenged by membership in the euro. So Germany would step in and help them financially and fiscally with their economies. Is that the sort of the Germany that you see? Well, I don't think there's much of a chance that the German government would ever really give up control over its armed forces to somebody or somebody in Brussels at the European Union level. There's a very strong sense in Germany, again, partly based on history, that the parliament, the Bundestag, has to have the final decision on whether German troops are going to be sent somewhere where they could fight and die. I don't see that happening. I think there will be there'll be more more military cooperation, there'll be more sort of joint binational or tri-national military units, but I think the the real decision questions on deployment will have to stay in Berlin. I don't see that changing. But other things, I, I think there 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 is a chance that Germany will really be willing to take the ball and try to really move it forward. I think this is something that we, we write about in our book, that really one of the ways forward for Germany is to use its prosperity, its economic power, and its political clout in Europe to be this power that within the EU is willing to maybe compromise a little bit earlier on certain issues, that's willing to maybe pay a little bit more than some other countries because it's doing so for the good of the European Union, but also for a European Union from which Germany profits massively on a whole series of areas, not, not least because of the way it can export to all of these countries in the European Union. So this is, I think, what, what I mean is slowly beginning to happen also with this the 750 million sort of European bonds that's been agreed now. This is, I think, possibly a way forward where Germany will, will exert more leadership to try to make a stronger European Union. And I think this would be, would be a very good way forward for them. It would be a sort of, I don't want to use management jargon, but there is this expression, servant leadership. It would be providing leadership by being sort of the, the first and the best servant of the entire European Union. And what do you think are the view from Berlin on what is sort of basically a proposition that comes from Paris, that this is what we like to see. But of course, it isn't a, 
a straightforward proposition in the sense that we're all going to chip in a little bit more and we're going to have common institutions. It's more that if Germany pays a little bit more, France can take care of the leadership and provide sort of the impetus and the long-term vision for what the EU should represent. Is is that the perception in Berlin as well? Or are they are they more sort of thinking that it's an EU which they broadly, not just can fund, but they can also steer its future? That's a very good question. I think we, we don't quite yet know the answer to that, in part because when uh, President Macron made his uh, speech at the Sorbonne University in 2017, there was never really a comprehensive response from Chancellor Merkel or the German government to the speech. And it was very much in some ways a mischance because Merkel could have certainly you know, spoken out and said, yes, you know, I agree with many of the main thrusts here. There are other elements that we find problematic because we do really value our transatlantic relations. We, these have to be kept on an even keel. We, we have this, this the whole German concept of Westbindung, which was really enunciated under the first German chancellor, Konrad Adenauer, which means that Germany is really sort of embedded in the European West with the United States, with Canada. This is very important to us. And I think in some ways, Merkel really missed a chance to lay out a vision. but. Sometimes what's maybe a bit a bit lacking in Germany is what George Bush Sr. once referred to as the vision thing. We have, you know, Chancellor Helmut Schmidt once very famously said, if people have visions, they should go and see a doctor. That said about Schmidt, Schmidt did have visions sometimes, as when he was a co-sort of father to the NATO dual track decision. I think what maybe what Germany does need is a bit more boldness in terms of coming up with its own visions for where it wants the European Union to be in the next 10 or 15 or 20 years, and not simply replying to, say, someone like President Macron, or, or maybe even not replying to him, and just making a few sort of, sort of very comments sort of on the sidelines. So it seems to me what Germany really needs, and if it's not going to come from the chancellery, maybe it needs to come from the Bundestag, Maybe it needs to come from the what I see as a very wonderful development in Berlin, this really growing uh, number of think tanks that we have in Berlin. Maybe it needs to come from citizens, citizens groups. There was this movement called the Pulse of Europe that was set up a couple of years ago that actually gained a lot of followers, and they set up these home parliaments about where Germany should be headed. So there are all different ways that this can come, but I, I think Germany does need to dare to have a little bit more of a vision for where it wants the European Union to be. Yes, indeed, and I agree entirely with you there, Leon. I think it's also necessary if relations with Paris and the effort to try to find some degree of commonality with Paris is actually going to be successful. I think there is a difference between, say, Macron today and Macron two years ago. Now he puts forward a vision which I, I would imagine is pretty worrying for the typical German. If we look at, for instance, his, his notion about you know, subjecting Muslims in France to state regulation, his concept about the European civilization as being very, very much European and not, not very open to other parts of the world, his drive for creating economic sovereignty 
in Europe for having technological sovereignty, his definition of strategic autonomy, it seems, runs counter with a lot of the thinking that comes out from Berlin. And I think, wasn't this also what the spat between Macron and the German defense minister, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, was all about? Yes, absolutely. Kramp-Karrenbauer gave two really quite remarkable speeches. She gave the first really, I would argue, comprehensive response to Macron's speech a number of years ago, but also just some of his comments over the last couple of years, saying that the United States remains indispensable for the defense of Germany and of Europe, that there is no way in the the near-term future that Germany or Europe can compensate for the American military hardware that it has in NATO. She basically was just quite brutally realistic about it. And the extraordinary thing was that was Macron's response was to say, well, she was making a historic mistake and that, in fact, as he understood it, Chancellor Merkel actually agreed with him, which was quite a, a sort of a very uh, direct, almost a direct attempt to drive a French wedge into the German cabinet. But Kram Kalmar totally doubled down and came back and said the same things in a later speech, given uh, of all places at the German Bundeswehr Armed Forces uh, University in Hamburg. And uh, she made these same points again, even in, in an even more clear manner. So yes, I mean, there are a lot of things that Macron is saying now that are, I think, alarming or worrying to German politicians. But you know, my, my question here is why is, is it being left to Kramp-Karrenbauer, who I think is very underestimated and is very, very talented, but she has just resigned as, as leader of the CDU and they, they voted a replacement. She gave up her dream of uh, running uh, for, for chancellor and she made these speeches after that. So I guess my question is, uh, where is uh, Chancellor Merkel's answer to all of this? And I think it's still lacking. No, I think that's, and that's been the experience for quite a number of years. But to, just to end on, on one final thing, Leon, because in relation to Paris and the French version, I would imagine that the Germany, the way that Germany looks at itself in the future and the type of leadership it wants to provide to Europe is still going to be, broadly speaking, a liberal leadership, right? It's a political culture that is going to you know, put emphasis on as much open trade as is realistically possible. They don't want to be naive, but they want to be open and trade with the rest of the world. They don't share France and, and, and its, its, its idea about that we need to not close ourselves to foreign technology, but that we are going to restrict the access of foreign technology to Europe quite substantially. That in terms of domestic political culture, that it's an open culture inviting to immigrants. They want to sort of avoid taking strong measures on, on issues around crime, integration, segregation, because I, I would imagine that wouldn't go down very well. In German politics. Would you say, is my interpretation right? Is it, a, is it a liberal Germany that wants to have a role in Europe, or are there other forces at play that may, may make Germany less liberal in the future? Certainly the main political thrust in Germany is very much liberal economic thrust. There's no question about that. 
Germany is one of the export champions of the world. This has made Germany incredibly rich over the last 50 years. And I think anybody really in responsibility now in Germany uh, realizes this and doesn't want to change this. And they, they want to keep Germany and Europe open for business and open for bringing in new people, new ideas. I think people are realizing that Germany is, is competing you know, for the best minds in science and in, and, in, and in business with countries like the United States or Canada or Australia or the other industrialized countries in the OECD. That said, there are wearingly extremists on, on both sides. I mean, we've seen the rise of, of the AFD, the Alternative for Germany Party, rightist nationalist party with some deeply worrying, deeply unpleasant people in it, and some even, even more deeply worrying policies. And on the far left, we have the, the former East German communists who have renamed themselves several times. They now call themselves the left party. And together, you know, these two parties, you know, it depends on where they are in the polls, but they're, they, they both together probably poll 17 to 20%. The AFD was doing better, but they've sort of descended into a lot of infighting. There are extremists on both sides, and they're not just, you know, tiny sort of splinter parties with, you know, uh, 1% or, or 0.5%. They do have a following. Leon, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much.